Welcome to Hempire, a show dedicated to exploring the many potential therapeutic uses of the cannabis plant. Once a cornerstone of healing and now making a heroic comeback, cannabis has the potential to promote health and well-being, bring the body back to homeostasis, and foster recovery for a healthier way of living. Hempire focuses on a diverse range of serious health issues, presenting views ranging from those of patients and their loved ones to those of researchers and medical professionals. Hempire is presented by NanoSoul Pro. Supplementation through education. NanoSoulPro.com. Hey, it's Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hempire. We've got some splendid guests today, including Mark Patterson of NanoSoul Pro and Dr. Stacy Gruber, the beloved director of the Cognitive and Clinical Neuroimaging Corps at McLean Hospital. She's also on the psychiatry department at Harvard Medical School. More than anything, I just want to thank her yet again for spearheading the Marijuana Investigations for Neuroscientific Discovery, my favorite acronym, MIND. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Gruber. Thanks so much for inviting me. Well, we were hoping to get a feel for CBD1. Dr. Gruber, would you mind just telling us what CBD is in the first place? Sure. So when we think of cannabis or marijuana, whatever term we're going to use for the plant, cannabis, sativa L, very often people use the one term to describe everything and anything that comes from the plant. We know it's comprised of hundreds of constituents. The most well-known compounds are things called phytocannabinoids, things within the plant that interact with our own brain and body system of chemicals and receptors. Delta-9 THC um, is the most commonly known um, constituent, this is what gets people high. And it's what our recreational users are desperate to find in their products. In contrast, cannabidiol or CBD is the most common non-intoxicating constituent of the plant that actually exerts its effects through um, different channels and appears to have tremendous therapeutic potential for lots of different conditions and indications. I really appreciate you laying that out for us. And you alluded to phytocannabinoids. Mark, I'm curious, would you want to talk about the difference between cannabinoids and phytocannabinoids? I'm glad to, but uh, I think I'm going to yield to Dr. Gruber and I'll, uh, I'll uh, compliment that as we move forward. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think you're being too kind. Phytocannabinoids, of course, are things um, that come from the plant that interact with our own system, as I mentioned, and uh, our own system of endocannabinoids, as um, you, you all know, um, really is comprised of these chemicals and receptors like anandamide and 2-AG. These are our natural endocannabinoids. Um, and we have these receptors, CB1 and CB2 receptors, that comprise the endocannabinoid system. Important to remember, though, that lots of other constituents in the plant exert their effects using lots of different receptor systems. So, Thanks so much. Yeah, it does, it does kind of beg the question of this entourage effect that folks have been alluding to that may be a big advantage of the phytocannabinoids. Um, Dr. Gruber, you alluded to some different ailments where CBD might be important. Would you mind getting into that? 
Sure. Uh, so there's been an awful lot of interest in exploiting the potential benefits, right, of, of some of these cannabinoids, especially uh, CBD. And we've seen lots of evidence. Of course, CBD, a, a, a purified extracted uh, form, a single extracted compound and purified form of CBD called Epidiolex has been approved by the FDA. It now sits alone in Schedule 5, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, and that's uh, that was approved for intractable pediatric onset seizure disorders. Um, so things like Lennox-Gastaut and Dravet syndrome, these horrific seizure disorders that are um, really quite debilitating. There's also been a fair amount of interest in, and some very compelling evidence, including work from our own group, for conditions and indications, including things like anxiety, pain or inflammation, uh, substance use, lots of different uh, areas of interest um, across the board. And I think it's, it's one of those areas where people are taking a little bit of, of um, information and sort of blowing it up and saying it's good for everything. And I, I certainly hope that <laughs> it's good for more than it's not good. But um, in terms of interest, there's a lot of interest in, in some of these core conditions like mood. And, and we certainly have seen improvements in individuals who are using CBD um, in, in things like sleep. Oh, I, I got to admit, the, the data are just so interesting. You, you did allude to Schedule 5. Could you let us know what you mean by that? Sure, sure. So in 1970, the um, the Controlled Substance Act was, was created, and it basically put different uh, drugs in different classes. Schedule 1 is the most restrictive, and that's where cannabis was placed way back in 1970, despite the fact that it was part of the pharmacopoeia in 1850, which meant that doctors could and did prescribe it. It wasn't a certification or indication that patients got. It was an actual prescription. It fell out of favor and was made illegal in 1937 and was off the pharmacopoeia in 1942 and then landed in the most restrictive class of the Controlled Substance Act, Schedule 1. Schedule 5 is the least restrictive class and that's where Epidiolex sits, um, which is interesting because again, it's a single extracted purified form of cannabidiol. I think it's about 99.3% pure. Don't quote me on that. But basically, it's CBD alone, which means that there are no other accompanying cannabinoids or terpenoids. These are the essential oils that give cannabis its characteristic scent and flavor profile, but which also have their own biobehavioral health effects, it would appear, flavonoids and, and other, um, other constituents. So Schedule 5, far less restrictive than Schedule 1, the most restrictive. Nicely put, doctor. And I, I still blame Nixon for all of that. And I realize some of our <laughs> listeners don't even remember him. You had mentioned uh, CB1 and CB2 receptors, and yet cannabidiol doesn't seem to work that way. Could you, could you walk us through that? Sure. There's a lot that we, there's a lot more in my mind that, that we don't necessarily know just yet than what we do know. Um, again, with THC, it's relatively clear that THC is a fairly clear agonist. That means it binds well um, to CB1 and CB2 receptors. Cannabidiol appears to exert its effects through multiple systems, including um, 5-HT1A, the, the serotonin um, system. Lots of different neural circuitry involved here, um, which is important when we think about, again, as you mentioned and so appropriately, um, the potential differences between single extracted compounds and those that are whole plant or um, full spectrum or even broad spectrum relative to single extracted compounds. Are they more efficacious at lower doses because different cannabinoids exert their effects through different systems? Um, you know, whether we're talking about TRIP or vanilloid systems, what are we looking at here? And I think we haven't really begun to understand all of the complexities about how CBD really modulates its effects. Wow, we really do have uh, a 
great deal of work ahead of us, but it sounds like there are already some pretty intriguing data about sleep. Would you care to walk us through how that might work? Sure. I, I think actually the, the best example I, I would use probably in terms of CBD and where I see potentially the greatest promise right now has to do with anxiety, which is related, of course, to sleep, to your point. Sleep seems to be one of these um, areas that is affected really across the board. So whether or not we're talking about one of these major complaints that people often come in with, whether it's chronic pain um, or um, any kind of um, mood issue, sleep or mental clarity and confusion. Sleep is really rather critical. Um, almost everything is affected or, or sleep is almost invariably affected by so many of these conditions. So we do see improvement in, in patients' sleep after initiating CBD treatment. I think there have been some very interesting and rather compelling uh, data that have come from small studies of human subjects taking uh, cannabidiol or CBD with regard to anxiety um, in terms of individuals uh, being pre-treated with CBD um, and then having to perform certain tasks relative to those who were not pre-treated. We have the very first clinical trial of whole plant full spectrum, high CBD, very low but not no THC sublingual solution for folks with moderate to severe anxiety. And the data are, are very young. It was, it's what I would call pilot data since it's just the open label phase so far. Um, but the data are rather compelling. And clearly, we're seeing um, real improvements in individuals um, after a very brief period of time um, with regard to treatment with CBD. So that's really very interesting given the striking numbers of people across the nation who are plagued by anxiety. Something in the neighborhood of 37% of the population will be affected by anxiety at some point in their lives. That's, that's unbelievable to me. I got to admit, it really is prevalent. And sometimes people get confused with the anxiety disorder or just kind of anxiety itself. Mm. Could you give us a feel for how you're measuring anxiety for this trial? Sure. So it's a great, a great point. In order to get into this trial, individuals have to have a minimum score on a number of different metrics that we use. They don't have to have ever been formally diagnosed with an anxiety disorder like generalized anxiety disorder, although everyone that comes in gets a full um, clinical um, diagnostic assessment. And by and large, they do meet um, criteria. So whether or not you have symptoms that render you um, anxious uh, on a certain scale or, or you have an absolute diagnosis, individuals um, who hit this moderate to severe level of anxiety on these, on these tools um, are eligible to enter into our study. So we didn't limit it to people who, for example, have had, you know, two or three hospitalizations secondary to, um, you know, whatever brought them there in the first place with regard to anxiety. Um, we tried to keep it a little bit more open, but um, again, I think everybody, since they get a clinical and diagnostic assessment, meets for anxiety an anxiety disorder. So these folks are moderate to severe. These are not people with mild levels of anxiety. Um, it, it, it clearly has an impact on their daily lives. They have stopped doing certain things because of their anxiety. They often um, have difficulties in other domains like sleep, uh, like their interpersonal relationships because of anxiety, things like this. I really just can't thank you enough for doing that. We are going to take a break just for a second. It's Dr. Mitch Earlywine on The Empire Show with Dr. Stacy Gruber of Harvard Medical School. We'll be right back after these messages. More Empire coming up once we pay homage to our sponsors. 
Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow. The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chi Chin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him pink, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The Cutting Edge of Cannabis. Consulted by the American Cannabis Company. The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the 2020 Cannabis Caucus Event Series from March 10th through March 26th. Don't miss this exclusive opportunity for NCIA members to network, learn about regional issues from influential guest speakers, and get the latest news about NCIA's federal policy work and emerging topics. Look for this year's only tour of Cannabis Caucus events coming to Portland, Denver, St. Louis, Detroit, Chicago, Newark, Sacramento, and Los Angeles this March. Stay connected. Get informed and take action to protect our industry and your business. Register now for your complimentary tickets at thecannabisindustry.org slash events. Fostering health, well-being, and a better living. Welcome back to Hempire, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, it's Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks for joining us here on Hempire. I've got Dr. Stacy Gruber from Harvard Medical School, and we were just talking about cannabidiol and anxiety. I'm eager to ask uh, Dr. Gruber, do you feel like this could extend then to some of the other forms of anxiety, PTSD, things along those lines? Absolutely. I think that we have a, a longitudinal observational study of patients who use medical cannabis for various indications and conditions. PTSD is one of the um, sort of leading ones that we see along with anxiety and, and pain for folks who enter the trial. And we've seen some real improvement again across the board in a number of areas, including areas like sleep, which is so important in our patients with PTSD. We've actually seen in our program, we have a veterans program called Serving Those Who Have Served. These folks actually come in and they then start a high CBD, low THC, hemp-derived uh, product. And we look at their change over time. And, and all of these folks appear to get slightly better with regard to their clinical symptoms. Whether that will hold up long-term or not, I don't know. But for sure, for PTSD, we see some improvements in pain, sleep we've already mentioned. So there's certainly a lot of promise here. Now what we need are definitive placebo-controlled double-bond trials, which we're finally ready to launch. And I got to admit that is super exciting. I'm always concerned about placebo responses and wondered if you feel like keeping folks blind to a placebo condition with a CBD product is a, is a challenge we're up for. 
Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. There's an expectancy effect, right? When people are going through the hassle and difficulty, and, and believe me, I'm very aware of what it is to get into the lab and spend so much time. And look, for m many of these patients, this is not their first line of treatment. They have tried everything. And they're looking for absolutely anything to make their lives even a little bit better. So that level of expectancy can weigh into the equation. And we're mindful of that, which is why, you know, these placebo-controlled double-blind trials are so important and why we're just about to launch the double-blind phase of this very first study of anxiety for this custom-formulated product, but with a number of other INDs or investigational new drug um, approvals in place, we'll, we'll be expanding that. So I'm very, very excited. And I, I look forward to hearing more uh, from Mark about, about his products as well. Mark, could you let us know a bit about how you guys separate the good CBD from the bad, so to speak? Absolutely. Uh, and... Uh... Part of the reason we do this and, uh, and we set out to make sure of quality is for this very discussion that's uh, taking place right here. Uh, the credentialed uh, Dr. Gruber and yourself, Dr. Mitch, uh, are a key indicators that, um, that CBD has a place in human health. And as Dr. Gruber said, we're, we don't know all the aspects of that right now, but the focus is absolutely there. If you look at the amount of studies uh, that has taken place, uh, the amount, the, the type of people that are looking into this, and some of the uh, information already available, I guess the bottom line here is we uh, have taken this seriously, again, from the get-go, because we believe it's a serious nature, and if we can add and help human health based on this, uh, that's a very important factor. And again, it's human health and animal health. Uh, they're both important to us. And that's the goal uh, since uh, the creation of uh, the human being. By all means, we really appreciate the work. Dr. Gruber, I was gonna <laughs> ask a little bit more just about the double blind and what that really means. I'm worried people sure. are thinking visually impaired folks are involved. <laughs> <laughs> sure, absolutely. So, you know, when we think about ways in which we test whether or not new products are really efficacious, that is, do they work? Um, sometimes folks have to start with what we call open label. So everybody gets what I call the secret sauce. So whatever it is you're testing, everybody gets it. And the, the folks who are in your trial know it, the doctors know it, we all know it. Double blind basically means that neither the subjects who are enrolled in the study nor the investigators know who's getting the real deal versus a placebo, which is matched for pretty much everything we can match for except the active ingredient, right? So the vehicle's the same, the smell, the taste, all that's the same. Um, so double blind uh, placebo controlled studies are considered the gold standard when we're investigating the efficacy of new products to be um, considered, you know, for, for, let's say, treatment options. And they're really, really important. Um, for some studies, when we're talking about different types of administration with cannabis, for example, it's really hard to do a double-blind study of smoked or vaporized cannabis with people who know what cannabis feels like when they smoke or vaporize because the effects take um, – take, um, you, you have an effect in just a few moments or to a few minutes, and people say, hey, wait, I don't feel anything. <laughs> so that's a little bit harder than some of these other studies to do. Um, but I think for, for studies like this where we're really talking about medical cannabis using a sublingual solution, um, I expect that um, we'll be able to really 
determine whether or not what we're seeing, which is incredibly promising in the open label, things along the lines of 70 and 80% improvement in different areas like self-reported measures of depressive symptoms, anxiety, uh, sleep, we'll really begin to know if that's related more to the expectancy of whether or not the product should be working or if it's a real effect of the product. That's why we like this double-blind trial. And, so, and Dr. Gruber, this is Mark. Uh, yeah. when, uh, based on that, what is the, uh, uh, do you have a certain um, number of days or months that you are, that you're observing this double blind and observing yep. those that are not taking the placebo where you're hoping or, or looking for outcomes? In sure. other words, how long does it take to, to uh, observe an outcome uh, right. per estimation? Right. So one of the things we did in the open label phase was I assumed we were going to have to adjust uh, the dose because we had never done this before and it hadn't ever been done. So we took a shot of what we thought would be, quote, the right stuff in terms of how much uh, CBD, THC, other cannabinoids per, quote, serving and how many servings per day. Um, we went with a four-week treatment plan. Um, so it's an active study for four weeks. The study itself is five and then there's a little bit of a follow-up. Um, so it's really four weeks of treatment. We're seeing changes relatively soon into the trial. We'll see if that holds true as well in the double blind. It's important to note though, and really important for your listeners, um, that, that, that not all CBD is created equally. And when we think about this particular product that we're using in this clinical trial, it's a whole plant full spectrum product, which means, yep, it's high CBD, but it also has THC and other cannabinoids and terpenoids. Other studies, um, other, let's say, clinical trials may use single extracted forms of the plant using, let's say, just CBD. So we don't necessarily want to generalize what our studies uh, results will look like compared to those because they really are very, very different, if that makes sense. I really appreciate you emphasizing that. And I just want to uh, also pitch in that the behavioral interventions for anxiety in particular, it's hard to get a big rapid response like that. And uh, four weeks, uh, often you're still hoping to just make sure people are, are still coming in. So I, I really tip my hat and, and hope these, these data keep panning out. I'm guessing that the white, just the red tape around this kind of thing must have been outrageous. Is it worth asking you what kind of hoops you had to jump through to get this approved? Sure. Um, I, will, I will put it as succinctly as I can and tell you that um, when I first uh, submitted this to the FDA, um, I believe it was 2014, and the FDA and the IRB um, here at uh, McLean Hospital and Harvard Medical School, which is part of Partners Healthcare, approved it. And then we notified the DEA and they said, nope, you can't do this study because the product that I had created with some folks um, who were using something very similar in California with great response um, was not uh, procured from NIDA, the National Institutes on Drug Abuse. And given the single party convention and the fact that clinical trials had to be conducted with product from NIDA, that wasn't going to work. Interestingly, the product I had proposed way back when met the definition for hemp. So it wasn't necessarily something that we assumed would be problematic, but it was. So um, four uh, quick, ha ha ha, years later, um, <laughs> we launched the trial finally, uh, actually four and a half years later, um, after going back and actually using an extract that was sourced uh, from NIDA. And then I formulated that into a product that could be um, used by patients. And look, NIDA has expanded their drug supply program exponentially over the last decade and really has a, um, increasing numbers of, of cannabis-based 
um, products one might use in a clinical trial, but currently there are no turnkey sublingual solutions or concentrates or any kind of um, capsule that you would be able to sort of get from them and administer directly to, to patients. You can use flour, um, and lots of folks are doing exactly that with vaporized or smoked cannabis studies. For these studies, um, for, for our purposes here, I was trying to avoid smoked or vaporized product for this and the next several sets of studies for a number of reasons. So it wasn't the quickest, easiest route. But we are underway. I am delighted. And we have partnered with NIDA on a, a different observational study of older adults with chronic pain using opioids um, and whether or not they do or don't ultimately use medical cannabis and what they look like um, as groups. So that's, that's great news. Oh, I'm really looking forward to getting into that. And I just can't bow low enough to say thanks for spending four <laughs> and a half years getting <laughs> approval for a CBD study. This is Dr. Mitch Earlywine at Hempire. I've got Dr. Stacy Gruber from Harvard Medical School here. And we're going to take a break and be right back after this word from our sponsors. More Hempire coming up once we pay homage to our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at shoogies.com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Fetch your earbuds and stay tuned for some pure pet care conversation. Hi, it's Angela Ardolino with It's a Dog's Life, and I have Hernanda Umana joining me. We're just both so fascinated with how much we've learned since we've been in this pet industry and creating an all-natural product. Because it's a dog's life. I am a huge fan of my guest today, Dr. Bob Goldstein. I have, in my experience, not seen many natural substances produce the results that CBD is producing in the animals that we are testing on. It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Fostering health, well-being, and a better living. Welcome back to Hempire, only on CannabisRadio.com. It's Dr. Mitch Earlywine at Hempire. Thanks so much for joining me here and 
I've got Dr. Stacy Gruber here. We're discussing an intriguing CBD study she proposed where she literally lives in Massachusetts and anybody could get CBD anywhere, but she wasn't allowed to use that for this, this clinical trial. You mentioned some uh, upcoming work on pain. I was just eager to hear what's going on with that. Yeah, we are very excited. We've actually secured approval to use um, a couple of different products, actually, um, for different studies of pain. Whether or not they're cannabis sativa derived, that is, they meet the legal definition of cannabis. They, uh, whatever product is derived from plants that exceed 0.3% THC by weight, or um, a hemp-derived product for pain, because I think that um, people are very often um, finding themselves in the position of making a decision. You know, do I get this product um, online? Do I buy it from here? Do I buy it from there? It would be great to understand the potential differences in some of these products, depending very clearly on their source and the extraction method and the mode of use, as well as frequency and magnitude of use. So we're very excited to have these studies of pain that are, are um, set to launch in the next few months because so many patients are affected with pain. And I think it's, it's going to be very exciting to see how some of these data shake out. We actually also just got um, approval to look at the differences between whole plant, full spectrum um, product administered for an indication versus that same base with everything else stripped out except for CBD. So single extracted compound, same base matched to whole plant, full spectrum. That will be exciting too. Finally, some of this data is coming, coming to fruition. I'm dying to see when, when that comes in. You mentioned some, you know, shooting in the dark essentially about, about administration dosages. Could you walk us through what you guys ended up deciding to use and how you decided to use it? Sure. Um, so if you look at the literature, and I know many of your listeners probably are, are very well-informed consumers, um, and there's certainly been an awful lot about this in the news, and Mark, you know this very well, there's a huge difference in dose that appears to be required to get a response, whether or not you're using an extracted purified compound like, let's say, Epidiolex, versus a whole plant full-spectrum product. At least that was the hunch. We don't have any absolute data to tell us this, but that, that was the hunch. You know, when we look at Epidiolex, we're talking about significantly higher doses. You read about, you know, 400, 500 megs per kick, these high numbers that are being used. In our studies, um, and in studies sort of, quote, in the real world, when we look at this observational data that comes in from patients using real-world products, we see changes in these folks using significantly lower amounts. So you're talking 10, 20, 30 megs, uh, excuse me, yeah, milligrams um, per milliliter, and they're taking several milliliters per day. So, you know, um, a fraction of what is used in some of these other studies. But again, I think much of this will have to do with the indication under study. So when we think about seizure disorders versus things like anxiety or pain, it's very likely that you need different amounts uh, to get efficacy. And again, the extraction technique and the vehicle in which it sits and the mode of use is all going to affect the outcome. So our amount is relatively low. And again, we'll see if this, uh, this really promising uh, set of data continue to emerge from the double blind trial. Um, and then we'll know. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm beside myself. I, I uh, got to admit, I'm curious about when folks are getting, you know, 300 milligrams per kilogram body weight or something like that. Are, are there side effects for these high doses of CBD that people might want to be concerned about? Yeah, I think 
Um, I think that the folks who have done some of the Epidiolux work have been really quite good at documenting some of the less desirable effects depending on the um, on the dose. And again, I don't do this kind of work. We're actually looking to do a couple of different studies using that product. Um, but again, you know, I, I think much of this has to do with exactly what you're saying. How much, how frequently, and again, what's what's the product? I used to call it the what's in your weed factor, right? So we <laughs> we have our, our patients most commonly used products that are in the observational study analyzed by an outside lab. And very often they're under the impression that they're getting 60, 70, 80 milligrams per milliliter in, let's say, some of these sublingual solutions or tinctures. And then we have it tested and it turns out to be you know, a fraction of that. Um, and they wonder why this isn't working or that isn't working. So, you know, it's a really, really important thing to keep in mind. What is the sort of optimal lowest effective dose and how do we balance that with side effects since we don't want to have um, adverse events if we can avoid things like somnolence or increased sleepiness or gastrointestinal disruption, which I think are the two most common, I think, in the uh, Epidiolex studies. So important to keep those things in mind. That's my impression of that literature as well, is if you really have to crank it up because you don't have these other phytocannabinoids present, you do end up with this GI distress or just walking around really fatigued. And we definitely don't want to have anxiety turn into sleepiness. Exactly. So I, I, I really tip my hat to you on that. I'm running out of time here, but I did want to say thanks so much for tuning in to Empire. It's uh, Dr. Mitch Earlywine here with Dr. Stacy Gruber of Harvard Medical School, and Mark Patterson of uh, NanoSoul Pro. We really appreciate you tuning in. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.